welcome to the fam lab if you are wondering who we are you should listen to the previous episode where we introduce ourselves and what have you because we're just going to get into it this episode we are excited about this topic and apparently most parents are we're going to be talking about technology and screen time and get into some of the nitty-gritty and the practical stuff of how to deal with technology how to parent with technology in mind and those sorts of things so we want to kind of start on a fun and light note and talk about what was the first phone that you had now before we answer that question remember you can rate review subscribe to this podcast on stitcher and on itunes and we look forward to hearing from you at hellofamlab at gmail.com. You can tell us what your first, first phone was, and you can also tell us what you want to hear us talk about. So, Kyle, what was your first phone? I remember two different phones uh, as my first phone. I'm not sure which one it was. Um, I had two phones. I was so rich. Just kidding. Uh, no, my first phone, that I think it was this one. It was an old Samsung, and it was one of those that you could throw against a brick wall and it would never break crazy. Maybe that was Nokia. I don't remember. Uh, I did that to my first phone. But uh, my other phone that I think was my first phone, I'm, in, I'm just going to say is phone number two, uh, was an LG. And it was very different from everything else because the asterisk uh, zero and pound sign uh, were on the right side of the keypad rather than below it. And um, people didn't like that because it was different. So... That, that seems dumb. It was fun. I, I liked it because it was different. One thing you'll uh, learn about me on this podcast is I'm pretty different. So if you're different too, you'll fit right in. Kyle, how old were you when you first got a phone? Uh, I believe I was 13, maybe. Uh, I, was, I think I was going into eighth grade. I think that's about what time it was. I think what we should, should have probably clarified for the older ones of us here is that we meant the first cell phone you had because that wasn't always the phone. Your phone used to be your home phone, but you had to call it a cell phone or a mobile phone to know it was. And now we just, it's interesting. We don't even differentiate that anymore. Oh yeah, definitely not. Yeah. Your phone is your phone. Um, But I was out of college when I got my first cell phone and I was teaching and driving about 30 minutes one way to work. And so I'll um, as a single girl out there by myself, I thought I needed a phone. So I really splurged and got a cell phone because not everyone had them at that time. So I was a, a, an adult when I first had my phone. And it was, I think it was Ericsson, and it was a brick phone. It was all definitely one piece and had the hard antenna on it. And, yeah, it was big, big phone, heavy. Didn't fit in your pocket for sure. I get the distinction of being the youngest uh, person on this podcast, but I got my uh, first phone when I was going into the seventh grade, and it was because I was starting to do athletics and different things at school, and so my parents gave me their hand-me-down phone, and it was a Motorola flip phone with a black and white screen, and then I can remember the first phone that I got to pick out was, I believe it was a, a Nokia, but it was a Propel, whatever, whoever made the Propel, and it was cool because it slid up vertically and the keys were uh, behind the slider, and so that was a really cool thing to have the the slide-up phone. I think I got that when I was going into the ninth grade. Okay, so I guess I have the distinction of being the oldest on this panel, (laughs) and my very first 
cell phone, just like Mikey, was out of college. I started my first job, and I had a sorority sister who was working for a cell phone company. No one had cell phones back then, and it was a big old Motorola brick phone that had a big bag, and you had to carry the bag uh, with you everywhere you went, and it cost about half of my paycheck at the time. It was so expensive to have that phone. So I, I think I probably got you all beat, Barrett. We'll, we'll see. And your phone was also cranking out the most radiation of any phone of absolutely. all time. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Super dangerous phone. Uh, I, my first phone, to go back to Mikey making the distinction, I remember having like the, a big deal that I had a phone in my room. And it was like bef- right before. And I talked to my best friends like on the phone for hours it was probably like 20 minutes, but when you're in like sixth grade, it seems like a long time. But I had a weird like forest green phone for like the seeing impaired. The numbers were enormous on this thing. And I just remember being like, wow, why did they make them so big? Uh, anyways, uh, that was like my first phone in my bedroom. And I thought that was a huge deal. And I could like three-way call people. That was fun. Uh, then I had just the generic LG flip phone for a little bit. Obviously, it's same age as um, as Matt was when he got his. I got mine going into like middle school sports, and my parents were gonna have to be picking me up, and you know where would I be on campus and that sort of thing. And I never answered it when they called anyway. And you know I was just so bad at having a phone for the first couple of years. You're just terrible. You don't understand. You're just terrible at it. And you would accidentally. I remember when you would accidentally open the internet on the phone and it would cost $9 billion because you would accidentally click on internet and it would start loading and you'd be like, no, 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 no. And you would hang up immediately. And it was so expensive, just instantaneously, like cost three times the phone bill trying to access it. Um, so I broke that one almost immediately. And I, the phone that I remember and have the most memories with is the LG NV3. And I think about that phone a lot because it you could type on the front and then if the text got too big, you had to turn it horizontally and slide it up, and then you could finish your text. That is the most inconvenient thing of all time. But it did stop me from like texting and driving a lot. So I liked the LG NV3, but that was my first phone. So uh, a lot of phone talk, and that's on purpose. Um, we are going to get into screen time and technology. And we've asked uh, Matt to kind of moderate, and we're going to try and hit on a uh, couple of different age groups and what technology usage looks like in those age groups, and as well as some real practical stuff on parenting uh, with technology from all of us, but specifically Rosalind. Uh, and so, Matt, I will turn this episode over to you, my man. Thanks. We are really excited about this conversation. Uh, it's a conversation that is one that is not only important, but I think it's increasingly relevant because just like all of us shared, you know, you're your phone is, is a major rite of passage, but it's not anymore. Uh, it's something that uh, the amount of access to technology is, is almost comes with birth uh, now. And so um, one of the things that kind of made us want to start here with this conversation is uh, there's a piece of research from the Barna Research Group, which does a lot of research around uh, Christian topics that uh, in their poll of parents regarding the topic of what makes it most difficult to raise kids today, 
over 65% of respondents answered technology and social media. And that was the number one answer to what makes it most difficult to raise kids today. And so that's where we wanted to start on this FamLab podcast about how to raise kids uh, and use technology in a God-honoring way. And so the first thing we're going to talk about is screen time, because if we're all honest, we spend a lot of time uh, with screens in front of us. And now we Probably if you if you have an iPhone or another type of smartphone, you may get the statistics that pop up about how much screen time you've had this week and different things. And so I think we're all becoming more conscious of our screen time. But we'd like to start by talking about screen time with younger kids. And so I'm going to kick it over to Mikey uh, around the question of how much screen time is appropriate for younger kids and how as parents do we monitor that in, in a healthy way. I heard a report just this week that toddlers ages two and under are now on average having three hours of screen time a day. And that was really surprising to me initially until I started thinking about my own screen time and just how much time, even outside of what I do for work at the computer, but what I do casually just to pass the time with screen time. And wow, you get to three hours pretty quick if you add all of that up. And if you think about all the time that we do hand our kids the phone, you know, it, it happens a lot. You know, Matt, you mentioned that kids have a, a phone almost since birth. Well, it's really true. I mean, my little ones got our hand-me-down phones. You know, we didn't want to just throw them away or, you know, even put them in recycling if they're still working and they have apps on them that they could use. You know, we uh, my son did have an iPhone when he was, a toddler. I mean, it was the original iPhone. It was very old. And we did put it in a big rubber turtle-shaped case so that if he dropped it or threw it, it wouldn't break. But we still have that little iPhone, and he had games on it. Um, there are a lot of good things with technology and kids. I really feel like our son taught himself to read using apps that we put on his phone. He was reading really early and knew his letters early. And I think a lot of it was due to some of the interaction he had with technology. But if we teach our kids that they need to have noise all the time or they need to have something flashing in their faces all the time, that gets to become a habit really fast and really early. So it's something to be careful about. So you would give him the phone when he was two at a restaurant or something? I mean, well, that's um, we actually, That's what we, do. we really limited restaurant time, sorry. No. But I mean, a lot of people do do that, you know, with the restaurants because it does help with holding their attention. But um, we avoided using it at table time. Uh, for us, it was in the car. Mm. We drive a lot. We commute almost everywhere we go and we go on long car trips. And that's when our kids get the most technology time is in the car driving. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I feel like same as true for my kids I've got an eight and two-year-old and uh, Eden uh, my two-year-old she definitely has a short attention span and so trying to corral her or get her to just sit down for any short period of time she's got to have some sort of screen I feel like and Lee and I do I think a great job um, she does a lot better job than I do of uh, monitoring that but um, it is a, a, a big issue sure so how do you think you know as parents one of the things that you guys mentioned is it can be a nice distraction for our kids right and it can be also something that is educational and 
adds value. Um, so what are some of the things or what are some of the signs to notice when it's beginning to have a detrimental effect? Or what are some of the things that parents should watch out for uh, when considering screen time for their kids, especially at a young age? I think it's really important that parents make sure their kids know that the parent is in charge of the technology. Even if they um, give it to the kids to hold, it's not their phone, it's still your phone, and you're in charge of when they can use it and when they can't. And that's always your decision as a parent, not their decision as a child. And I think if you're consistent with that from the very beginning, then it's something that your child will grow to expect. And, you know, my kids know if we say turn it off, turn it off, because when they didn't turn it off, we took it away. And it was gone for a long period of time. So it's just being consistent and, and staying in charge of the technology and making sure that they understand you're in control of it, they aren't. Okay, maybe let's go up with the age group a little bit and let's talk about screen time uh, for middle school and, and high school students. And so um, we have the blessing of having both a middle school and a high school minister on this podcast, but also uh, a parent who's had middle school and high school students. So let's open it up. What are some things to watch for with screen time with maybe your 10 to 18-year-old kids? Well, as a, a parent who's had the pleasure of raising a teenage children, but a teenage son in particular, who enjoys, you know, looking at his phone and playing video games, lots of video games, um, it's, you have to watch for personality changes. And I think that this is, this can come really a lot quicker than I think a lot of parents um, think it can come about. I know that I, we have a really great, sweet son, but I've noticed that if he is on a video game for more than about an hour, hour and a half, he gets kind of mean. And I mean, his personality just changes and he will snap. And, you know, to remedy that, we figured out that he needs um, not to go long periods of time playing video games or being on his phone. So that's just one of the things that we've had to deal with and look out for. Yeah, I think that's that's smart uh, of regulating that for sure. Um, I know I, I do work specifically with middle school students and I only have an eight year old, but uh, attention span is, is definitely uh, an issue. And so uh, one thing that I do just uh, practically in, in class is they don't get their phones in class uh, just because it's easy to get distracted by it. I mean, I get distracted by my phone right now. I've gotten a couple notifications and I'm like, oh, what is that? It doesn't even matter. I need to be able to to break away from that. Um, and so I think, yeah, regulating that time, um, figuring out how to make sure that they're not so focused on that that they don't even know what's going on around them. Um, that could be a, a frustrating thing as a parent because you're trying to tell them, hey, you need to go do this or quit what you're doing, and they're not even listening to you. That can be real frustrating. I think that's really great, Kyle. And I think talking to kids about that and about those choices with their time and how you're, why you're setting limits for choices on the time for that is really important and making the priorities. Right now, your time prior priority is class, so we're not going to have technology. And I think that's, Rosalind, what you said about their, just their demeanor and just their mood gets affected by that technology time. I noticed that with my younger kids too. And I'll talk to them about it afterwards and just say, look, you're, 
you know, I know it's time for turning it off. You turned it off, but now you're so cranky. Look how spending that much time on your tablet has made you feel kind of cranky. So talking through those feelings with them and why you're making those expectations and rules. One thing I can absolutely say, too, is that, you know, on rare occasion, we've had to take that video game or cell phone away for extended periods of time. There's not one time that we've done that that we didn't end up with a happier kid at the end of that time. So, you know, even though it's difficult and they hate it and they push back and they'll challenge you, it is completely worth it to take that on and to, to get that kid back <laughs> that you that you knew before you you know that video game or screen time was introduced to them. That's great. Yeah. Um, just as a parent, n- never being afraid to use that as a consequence. Um, it is a tool, and technology is a tool. The things that we are using are tools. So, uh, you know, it's a a privilege, I guess. Uh, that's something that we do as a family ministry, uh, especially middle school and high school, we, we take up phones on our trips. And like Rosalind was saying, we see uh, an immediate difference in personality uh, and conversation and uh, just kind of kind of a, an, an awakening almost of, uh, oh man, my, my friends are here and, you know, this is going to be good. And, you know, it may take an hour or two um, for them to adjust. But I kind of, I wanted to do, Matt, if we have time, do like a positive, negative sandwich here uh, with some of the things that I notice with high school students, um, because like I said, it's a tool and it's used for uh, a, lot of, a lot of positive things, and it, they have to have it just about at school, and that's something that we've talked about, just the, the expectation of, you know, I, I need this to function today, you know, <laughs> in school and things that I'm trying to do. So uh, they get a lot of information from it, and they know what's going on in their friends' lives. They know, you know, um, it wasn't too long ago that, you know, the statistics were talking about, you know, how much news um, for people our age and teens, you know, come from um, sites like Twitter and Facebook and that sort of thing, uh, whether that's good or not. Um, but they do stay informed through this um, technology, and so that's huge. And then there's obviously, you know, community uh, that comes from social media and keeping up with friends that way. Um, you know, it's educational. They learn things like Mikey was talking about, you know, from learning how to read to learning how to deal with difficult people. Uh, that is a positive, I think, of um, using social media and just learning how to um, interact with people. Um, it's educational in, in that way. And there's also obviously unlimited resources as far as like learning other languages and learning how to, um, you know, that there's tons of you know, flip card apps now that you can, you know, study by using your phone and technology. And I think that's huge. Um, and obviously it's fun. It's a lot of fun to be on technology. Rosalind's mentioned the games, um, just keeping up with friends, watching videos, knowing what's going on. Um, I think we would be um, crazy not to mention um, pornography as a negative. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm transitioning now, and it's a hard transition there. But, um, you know, a lot of positive things about technology, and so we, we can't forget that. We can't doom all technology. Um, and, and I think we, we can do that sometimes as, as people that are a few steps down the road from high school students. We're like, well, back in my day, we didn't have that, and we didn't act that way. It's like we, we've, you know, fantasize about what it was like back in our day. Um, but, man, how great is it for them to have these positive things? But negatively speaking, I mean, it's so easy through every app to uh, access some sort of level of, um, you know, in- inappropriate viewing. Um, and a lot of that is pornographic um, through social media. It can be 
um, through hidden apps. It can be through other people sending uh, your student pictures, whatever it is. Um, there's a lot of easy access to that. Uh, also, I think a, a big problem that high school students have is it's kind of falling into uh, what you've probably heard called the comparison trap and comparing their family uh, you know, to somebody else's family or or their clothes to somebody else's clothes, their shoes to somebody else's shoes. Uh, and, and that weighs on their self-esteem, and it starts to have an impact on kind of their attitude about life. And, uh, oh, man, here I am comparing. Uh, I always say, you know, when I'm laying in bed eating a bag of Cheetos, right, and I'm comparing that to somebody else's highlight reel uh, of what they've done all weekend. They've been out, uh, you know, hiking with their family, and they're all in love, and it's great. And it's like, well, my family's been inside all day, and here we are having a boring time or whatever. Um, or, you know, this family went to the movies, and, you know, you start comparing um, that sort of thing. Uh, I thought Kyle brought up an excellent point with the attention span, um, that being a negative. Just, you know, we have to have a, f- a screen to look at, a phone to look at. Uh, and something that I've learned recently is a huge deal in school uh, as far as a negative for technology. Uh, some of my teacher friends were talking about students coming to school and falling asleep all the time and like way more and more and especially later in the day they just cannot stay awake and so the teachers have started you know asking and it's just become like this epidemic of students sleeping with their phones and sleeping with their screen and sleeping with a tv going or whatever it is and they're up until two three four and then they go to school and they learn nothing because they're so tired and they're just worn out so i think there's positives there's negatives Um, obviously there's boundaries that need to be set Um, And I just want to say, like, be ready as parents to have alternative options for if you're going to take technology away because of these negatives, remember the positives that you have to then kind of replace and have an alternative to um, information, community, uh, education, fun. Like, what are you going to provide for them? If you're taking their phone away, that's great. Now, you know, allow them to go and interact face-to-face. You know, <laughs> that's one of the things that people get kind of hung up on. Um, oh, well, you know, in my day, we would actually talk to people. That's great. Allow them that opportunity then. You know, put them in situate, have people over to the house. Allow them to have friends over. Take them, drive them around <laughs> to meet with friends and provide that opportunity um, for community and um, those sorts of things. So that's like my whole, my whole spill on it right now. <laughs> Barry, I love that. And I, I, in particular, I love the comment you made about not comparing your family to other families when it comes to t- anything, but technology is included in that. And as parents, you have to have confidence in what you're doing, and you have to know what your values are, and you have to set those values for your family and your, the needs that your family has. So, you know, I think about my oldest daughter, um, seventh grade, she still didn't have a phone first semester of seventh grade. And we were kind of, you know, this has been a little while ago, but we were trying to decide, does she need a phone? And she convinced me, you know, mom, I am the only student at the school that does not have a phone. And, you know, we t- we've talked a lot about the phone. Well, I almost believed that until I went to the school and was waiting on her and had a conversation with another mom <laughs> whose, whose son said that he was the only one at school without a phone. You have to do what is best for your family, your family's values, and your family's needs. And you just cannot get into that comparison game uh, with your kids. I probably should have said this in our introductory episode because it's something that I, I wish I could stamp on every episode and maybe it's a tagline. I don't know. But 
every family's different. Every child is different. And especially when I was, you know, seven months ago, eight months ago, had my, you know, firstborn, uh, man, was that just even highlighted. And I knew that was going to be the case, but, uh, you know, there's all these different plans for, you know, how do you get your baby to sleep or whatever. It's the same with technology. That's just extrapolated, maybe even more so um, as kids get older and that sort of thing, that every kid is different. Every situation is different. But absolutely, do your research. Ask other parents. Go to the school. Um, you know, what, what, is, what is the reality? You have to know that piece of it. But then what's the reality for you as, as a parent? What's the reality for your student? Uh, and just be willing to um, do whatever it takes to um, set boundaries and limits and and, you know, find out what the positives are for your student using technology and what are the negatives. Maybe they're, you know, in the percentage of students that uh, don't have that struggle with pornography and they've never, you know, tapped into that and they've never accessed that. Great. That's awesome. Um, and by all means, you know, just praise them for that. I think that's <laughs> important, too. Um, but uh, being willing to um, realize that every situation is different is huge. And I think communicating with your kids what your expectations are, what those boundaries are going to be, and being really clear about it is so important. But that means you have to be intentional and think through that on your own first. What are your boundaries going to be? What are your expectations? And being ready to justify that for your kids and not just setting out um, rules willy-nilly just at every occurrence that comes up, but being intentional and thinking through things in advance. Consistent, too. Sorry. Yeah, so let's let's stay there for just a second and let's think about it kind of in two ways. What are some factors that should go into putting together a strategy for your family when it comes to technology? And then the second part of that is how does the parent play into leading in that environment? What are some boundaries that you think parents need to put on themselves or how can we make sure we're not the ones that are on our phones too much and telling our kids not to be on their phones and so let's just kind of talk a little bit about putting together that strategy, and then we'll dive more into specifics that got brought up in the conversation to this point. Let's talk about strategy. I have a um, some friends, family members that both, when they get home from work, they, both parents work, their phones go into the kitchen, into a community area, and they don't touch them until the end of the day. And rarely, I've been at their house, and they... Uh, put it down in the kitchen like it's again the central area where everyone can see it and and they leave it there and then after the kids go to bed sometimes uh, one of my friends he would get get on and if he wants to check a sports score or wants to know what's going on but and that's hard for me because I want to uh, take pictures and I want to um, share with my friends and I mean my family my mom lots of my family uh, they live not close by and so it's an easy way to share what's going on but um, I need to to put my phone down and spend time with my kids but putting it somewhere and then being very intentional all right we are not going to uh, touch these until after the kids go to bed or you know I'm not going to do it while they're uh, at home from school I don't know just being I think being intentional about that and I, I think that's one thing that I've tried, and it's worked when I've done it. It doesn't work when I don't do it, obviously. Well, I, I really love that, Kyle, and I also love the point Mikey made just about 
um, not being, I think you said, willy-nilly with, with the rules. I kind of like that. And and kind of really putting some thought into it and kind of having a comprehensive plan, you know, for your home. I know one of the things that we've done is that we, we just don't do kids' screen time in their bedrooms. Like, no TVs in their bedrooms, their computers they use in public areas in our home. They leave their phones um, now, I have one in college, so, I mean, you know, we've transitioned, we're transitioning into adulthood with her, but typically they leave their phones downstairs, don't take their phones to their bedrooms, they charge them at night, and that kind of plays into what Barrett talked about with kids being tired, you know, during the day because their, you know, phones are dinging at night and all of that, so that's something that could be helpful with that, but I think just having a plan for your family. One of the other things we did is, particularly when my children were younger, we, uh, we had no TV time Sunday nights through Thursday nights. Just, just didn't, you know, we talked, we did homework. Uh, we crazy. tried to be consistent with throwing in that occasional devotional, uh, but we just, that they just knew they could read a book and do other things, but we had no screen time. Man, that's awesome. I think part of the strategy that, you know, we're talking about is one, what's so important is like, you cannot go and present your bill of rights to your students. Like, Hey, here's 14 things that we're committed to. It's like, I guess you could do that, but they have zero buy-in. Right. So I, I encourage families to do it together. Right. You're, you're sitting down and that's an intentional conversation about, and, and then you get to suggest, Hey, here's 14 things that I think are fair. Now let's talk through them. And get their feedback up front so that they have buy-in and and being willing to you know say to your student look we're doing this because we want to be stronger as a family we want to focus on spiritual things or whatever you want to focus on you know we think you need your rest we think it's better for our attitudes as a family whatever reason but doing it together um, creating the strategy together sitting down having the conversation together i think is huge Um, and then part of that strategy has to be the alternatives right Um, I, i think kind of giving uh, not necessarily rewards, but just having uh, an idea up front of, okay, if I'm not allowing my student to have their phone uh, in the bedroom, um, then I'm not allowed to have mine in there or whatever. Um, and then so that means that I'm going to replace that phone time with reading my Bible or reading a fun book. At, uh, the Bible's fun too. Oh boy. Oh, I can hear the comments now. Oh, no. But, um, you know, all of that sort of stuff, just creating healthy, um, fun alternatives to that time, I think has to be part of just kind of an overall tech uh, strategy in the household. Um, I guess our our strategy, our kids are still pretty young, but our strategy is that our kids always ask permission before using any kind of technology. That's good. I like that one. Yeah, and they, um, they're they just used to it now. It's not a big deal for us, but they always ask, Mom, can I um, can I have tablet time? And then if we say yes, they always know there's going to be a timer. And now they know how to set their own timers, which is awesome. Um, but sometimes we'll talk about, you know, what would be a reasonable amount of time right now? Well, what do we have going on? Where do we need to be? Okay, you can have 20 minutes right now. Or, okay, maybe this is just a 10-minute time. So, but we set a set a timer every time they have technology time, too. Um, my poor kids, they don't they don't get much TV time either. So, if we're out in a restaurant that has a TV, they are glued to it. They don't know how to have... Mouth open. They can't have TV and other stuff going on. But that's 
So that's a life skill we need to work on. But um, but just th- that's kind of our boundary is just it's always permission-based. So as any good strategy, it has periodic check-ins. Um, what are some practical ways? Is it actually taking your student's phone if they're older and monitoring what they're looking at? Is it uh, sitting down as a family periodically and asking the question, how are we doing on our technology strategy? What are some ways that we check in to make sure things are working correctly? I thought when my kids were really little that I needed to play every game that they were going to play before they played it to make sure it was okay. They are just now six and eight, and I already can't keep up with all of the different stuff. I just can't be in every app that they're in and experience it. But what I do do and try to do is talk to them about it so that they know I'm going to be asking them questions. You know, what kind of game is this? What do you do? What do you like about this? You know, and they are into an app right now that actually has um, um, interaction with other people. So when they're online, there are other people in the game with them other kids, which has made me really nervous. So that's one game that I really monitor closely, and we have talked about that, um, and um, actually they aren't doing the talking back and forth even when their friends are in there. But um, I don't don't know how you could do every activity that they're going to do with them, but just being in constant communication about what they're using their technology for is something we do. Yeah, something that uh, I think is just another, it's a its a, an old, a version of that, I guess. It's a step beyond that over for uh, maybe a strategy for a teenager is asking them to give you a tour of their phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and there's a lot of different ways to do that, I guess. But um, saying, hey, like, what are the apps that you use? What do you like? Can I see, you know, your Instagram? And, you know, take me just to your page, the things that you've posted, you know, and hopefully, you know, you're following them. And, you know, that's part of the expectation of, hey, if you're going to have it, um, then I have access to it. And, and that starts like what Mikey, Mikey was saying um, at a younger age of, hey, you know, we're in control of the technology and that sort of thing. And it is a privilege. And so as they get older, just asking, hey, you know, walk me through and let them show you what they want to show you. And, you know, if you want to see something in particular, let them show it to you and take you to it. Um, and I think that helps with the trust. And instead of just like, hey, let me see your phone. I'm going to go through your phone. Um, are there times where that's absolutely necessary and are there students where that's necessary? Absolutely, for sure. And I'm, so I'm not bashing that by any means, but I think just allowing them to kind of walk you through it periodically and just, and, and having that as part of your expectations up front and the conversation that you have um, when you're giving them the phone and then you're checking in so that it's not a surprise uh, and maybe say, hey, I'd really like to have a tour of your phone uh, tomorrow. You know, even giving them the space and giving them the time to be like, oh, I should probably get rid, you know, or whatever. Uh, I think that's okay. Um, that's fair for them to kind of self-monitor and take care of those things and kind of edit themselves. Um, and then just, hey, walking through it, um, I think that's really practical. I read that somewhere. I stole it from somebody, but I like it. I was going to say, I think that's great. And, you know, I, I think whatever you do as a parent, you should do something to show your kids that you have interest in what they're doing on their phones and what their screen time is. Because, I mean, that that's just one of the ways that we show our kids that we care about them, that we, we show that interest, that we, uh, we let them know we care about your mental health and your physical health and your well-being overall, and we want to know what you have going on. Yeah. So it's what, just important. What game are you playing? 
I saw Reese playing that game this weekend. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, what are you playing? What's your high score? Can I beat it? Exactly. So I like the what Rosalind said about, you know, just check-ins on health and different things. With social media being almost considered an extension of a person in some ways, what are some good ideas for how you can encourage your kids through social media or how you can maybe monitor their emotional well-being or – just how do you navigate uh, kids growing up with almost that additional outlet or additional world that comes with uh, being in that sphere? I, uh, <clears throat> I recently listened to uh, something that's talking about um, social media and the positives of it, like Barrett was talking about earlier, but how it, it, it broadens their worldview, and so they're able to know what's going on, and they're able to uh, to be aware of things that are going on in different countries and just different things. So um, um, this, I think this is what kind of what you're asking of how do we, how do we help them or what are the positives of it? You know, give them, getting them outside themselves and uh, showing them ways that they could be an encourager to other people. Or, um, you know, they may see something on YouTube or they may uh, be interacting with somebody in a game and, it sparks an idea for them to help someone that they know at school or uh, maybe their brother or sister or something um, and and take advantage of those opportunities. And, you know, my um, old daughter Grace, she was writing a story. And she, to me, um, she's never written stories a whole lot, but she likes to read. But she wrote her own story, and it was about these uh, friends that ended up liking each other, and, and it was a little cheesy whatever she was smiling like crazy she was like dad I know you don't like this but I was like it's okay it's okay uh, but she she was developing that, that story of of these two people I don't know it, it, it's made me feel really good that she's developing a skill that she can use later on in life it's not just her mind is going to mush because she's playing a game like she's developing something that she enjoys and I know it's because that she has seen that somewhere or she's interacted with friends that talk about writing stories um i don't know so using that to to help them develop something that they could use later on in life uh, if that makes any sense man i i think i have my mind went a thousand different directions matt you're asking like how do we use social media to like encourage your kids yeah too yeah and just you know like to an extent what kyle mentioned like uh, Hallie Roslin's daughter is an artist. You know, it can be an incredible platform for sharing their art or, hmm. you know, doing different things through that. So, you know, I think a lot of times we monitor our kids' social media solely for the purpose of making sure they're doing things okay. You know, yeah. how do we encourage them by get, learning more about them through social media or different things like that? Yeah. Well, something that made me think of is a parent of younger kids who aren't on social media really yet is that I need to be careful about what I post about my kids now because they are going to see it, you know, in 10 years when they're online, you know, and their friends and their spouses and their future employers might see it. And especially if I put their names next to it and that sort of thing, and it can come back um, later. So I, I think we as parents need to think, you know, forward thinking about what we're posting right now about our young kids even. Yeah, just creating an expectation of encouragement on social media. Um, you know, 
being very positive about all our, of our relationships on social media with, you know, in our marriages and with our friendships. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's kind of a, a culture on Facebook of, uh, commenting on uh, other people. Right. And that was a really positive spin to put on that, but, uh, you know, really bashing people that we, you know, Oh, so-and-so or not even so-and-so just random person did this today. And it really annoyed me. Um, and just creating a, a positive atmosphere on your social media and sharing that with uh, your kid uh, as an older kid. They're going to notice those things if they're friends with you on Facebook, if they're following you on Instagram. Um, and I shy away a lot from, uh, and this is a way, sorry, Matt, from your question and kind of going back into what we were getting into earlier. I shy away from a lot of um, Snapchat conversation because it is hard to find redeemable qualities in Snapchat. Um, and I have some good mentors and great parents that I just taught a parenting class with and their kids have it and they have Snapchat and they uh, have found a great way to use Snapchat as a family to communicate. And they say, uh, or the, and they said in the class that one of their kids communicates better through Snapchat than with text. And so they all got it to communicate with him through Snapchat. And that was great. And that's actually, that's probably the best way for me to communicate with my brother. Uh, he's better through Snapchat than like texting or returning a phone call and that sort of thing. So maybe, you know, that's one of the redeemable qualities. Um, but man, those photos disappear forever and you can set a timer. Um, and you know, outside of a screenshot, which is, you know, sometimes hard to get, I don't know. There's just not a lot of positive there. Uh, so just one red flag heads up on Snapchat. It's, it's hard to monitor well, and it's hard to use well. It's hard to use uh, in an encouraging way. Um, it's hard to use in a, in a really positive way. Um, like I said, I've seen it done. I've heard about it being done um, well, but that's why I, when I reference social media, it's usually Facebook, which is where parents are, and there's fewer teens. Um, Twitter is kind of coming and going, and there, you know, it has a, a particular audience. Instagram, very popular. And then Snapchat's very popular with teens. It's very popular um, in middle school and high school. Uh, but it's not for parents, and th you know that's why it's kind of this like last little island of uh, you know there's teens only, and, and there's some uh, you know parents at our at our church that use it and use it well and uh, have a good social media kind of presence on Snapchat, and I think that's great, and that may be a positive way, um, you know, if you're using a platform and using it well, uh, and your kids see that you know hey he's on here and he's active. Um, as a dad, as a mom, it's kind of harder to use it for uh, inappropriate things if you're on there. And, you know, that takes time. It takes being consistent. It takes using it. But that may be part of a strategy. So we could spend a lot of time on this conversation, obviously. But there are three topics that I'd like for us uh, to make sure we include uh, before we end our conversation today. Uh, the first of those has to do with actually consuming media together as a family. Uh, with Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and all the different cable options, there are a million different things that people could watch, and it's almost like there's so much individualized content. Um, how do you sit down as a family and enjoy media together, or what does that process look like, or how are you doing in your home? That's just not always really easy with the content that we have on television today and on, like you said, Netflix and all of those media outlets. There was a time kind of like what Mikey talked about where I would try to watch something 
or even read something before I allowed my kids to do it. And in some ways, we still kind of do that. You know, if, if there's something in particular that my son wants to watch, sometimes we'll say, okay, we'll kind of check it out. And there have been some times we go, absolutely, no, that's not anything I would watch, and that's not anything we find found appropriate for anyone to watch so you know we're not going to consume that so I mean it's just it's it's not an easy thing I wish I had more wisdom on that but it's it's really hard other than to say that I know that there's some tools that you can use um, like is it VidAngel and ClearPlay that kind of help um, take away some of the bad stuff in the in the content so those things I think are really valuable for families yeah that's a that's a real practical I mean there's several of those too and you can find all of that by googling like accountability software and uh, just google vid angel there are free options for some of that stuff too uh, it may limit the types of media but some of those bigger ones that you do kind of pay to play um, man that that's a really practical way to enjoy media together and it can kind of kind of edit things for you take that stuff out of it uh, for sure I think um, you know just asking and, and kind of taking I think this is real simple I mean real practical and everybody probably does this but I think it's worth mentioning like you know you get to pick sometimes what the family watches and they get to pick sometimes and you know th- that is part of enjoying it together it means you have to watch something that you you know like something just terribly stupid, you know, or whatever it is that's just not worth your time. But that's part of enjoying it together because they're going to watch some of your, um, you know, more adult themed. And I mean that in a very appropriate way, but, you know, something real, you know, boring to them. Um, And so you're going to return the favor, that sort of thing. Um, And (laughs) that doesn't mean watching it and making fun of it the whole time either, Um, because then you're just creating this atmosphere of cynicism and, and sarcasm and that sort of thing. But enjoying it. I, th- I like the way you phrased the question, Matt, of learn to enjoy it together and enjoy kind of the intake process together and have feedback uh, afterwards, I think is, is fun. That's what me and my wife enjoy doing. And so I'm looking forward to, you know, hey, what did you think of this movie? What did you think of this show? If you didn't like it, why? You know, uh, and just kind of, you know, enjoying and learning entertainment together. I think you, what you said about having conversations after watching something together is really important. You know, there are a lot of even kids' movies today that might have a message that your family might not agree with. And um, sometimes kids pick up on those messages and sometimes they don't. So, uh, you know, we've experienced movies like that where we went and we watched it and the kids just thought it was funny or not funny. And uh, we left thinking that was kind of political, you know, in the background. And so I would ask questions to see if my kids picked up on that or not but um just having conversations about what you thought was good or okay or not great about what you watched is is important to you when barrett we were talking about uh letting kids choose or you know everyone gets a a chance man there was a a movie that i did not want to watch at all it's this christmas movie about this reindeer thing and grace really wanted to watch it and then i was like this looks super dumb um and Sorry if that's a curse word in your family. Uh, we we just no we I just didn't I didn't want to watch it. But I sat down. We watched it over Christmas, and uh, afterwards she was like, "This this best movie ever." She loved it. The main character was this little girl, and having conversations afterward in the midst of it, you know, um, I remember asking her about that movie and different shows. Like, well, why do you like this? And and again, 
um, you know, what's who's the main character's name? Like just asking her practical questions so that I can kind of know what's going on, even if I don't care, or even if it's not as important to me as it is to her. So, yeah, it, like you said, Rosalind, it's hard to find that time, but I don't think you have to watch a giant movie. Um, you can watch just just a little bit of it, um, and I, at least be involved, interacting. I agree, and you know, we talked about like doing what's best for your family, and but the the fact is is that we have we're not an island, and we have um, friends and communities of people that. Uh, believe and that are Christian and we a lot of times I will ask you know what other families if there's a great movie uh, I will share that information and I depend on my friends and and others to do the same for us so we can help each other in that way to recommend good quality uh, viewing for our families absolutely uh, Barrett the, the second thing we we're going to talk about was accountability and you already started us down that path. I'm sure we'll have a whole other conversation on pornography in the future. But what are some good web uh, tips and different services that they can use to help their kids in that area? Yeah, for sure. Uh, it is something that I am uh, pretty passionate about because it has been helpful for uh, my family. And then also when I was working in kind of a, a rehab setting for drugs, alcohol, and then sexual abuse and those sorts of things, um, one that we recommended a lot was Covenant Eyes, and they have a great website, first of all, so you can go to covenanteyes.com, probably. I should have really looked it up before I plugged it, but uh, just Google Covenant Eyes, uh, and they have an excellent like blog section, so if you were looking for um, you know, statistics on pornography or articles about how do I deal with um, you know, f- uh, pornography, quote-unquote, addiction, or uh, my teen is struggling with uh, this, and you know all the tough questions, but you're like, oh, I don't want to type pornography into Google, you know, which is smart. Don't do that. Um, but go to Covenant Eyes, and you can kind of search their website and use that, uh, which I think is extremely helpful and a good place to start. Uh, but then they also uh, offer, and they're going to, you know, try and sell you their product, uh, which is, an, you know, I guess it's a browser that you would download uh, onto phones, on a computer, uh, onto tablets. You know, it's all across all these different mediums, uh, and you can use uh, Covenant Eyes will operate as your browser on your phone and then send, um, you know, if, if there's no inappropriate activity, there's not really like a report. Uh, but then if there is something that is flagged as a mature website or, um, you know, an inappropriate search, um, then that's kind of flagged and sent to kind of a, a parental email. And that can be the student's email as well. And so that they can see um, kind of what's coming up. But it just kind of keeps, um, you know, things, the, the biggest problem with a lot of the uh, pornography stuff is it's kind of a secret thing. And so um, just kind of everybody being aware and being on the same page uh, is huge. And so that that's one that you have to you pay for. I think it's like 12 bucks a month or something like that. And for like unlimited access across all sorts of different, uh, you know, like computer and phone and for everybody, uh, which is, you know, not too expensive. But you can also just kind of Google accountability software. And there are other options. There's free options. You know, there's uh, a free phone one. There's a free for a desktop uh, and it's all kind of centered around this idea of let's bring our our searching, which is now become such like an intimate private thing for everybody's phone is their phone and everybody's screen is their screen. And, uh, and so it's it's kind of my search life and it's my, you know, this is my personality on the Internet or whatever. Uh, but it kind of brings that out into the light and just says, you know, let's all be on the same page as a family. Let's, you know, talk about what 
what other people are searching. And uh, so I, I've seen a lot of benefits from that. Highly recommend it. Uh, and just kind of holding each other accountable to what we're looking at and how we spend our time. It keeps up with time as well, which now like every iPhone does, but uh, you can use it for a lot of different things. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that resource. I think something else to think about with with parental controls is that even with the best software, you're not always going to be able to prevent your child from accessing something that would be inappropriate or um, bad for them. So I think we also have to keep teach our kids strategies for what to do when they come across something like that or what to do. You know, think about those comments that might come up and how do they respond and, or should they respond? You know, if they come across a site even accidentally that um, they know is inappropriate, what should they do? Who should they tell? Do they need to tell anybody? So just talking through that with your kids too and just giving them some strategies when they do encounter things. Just real quick, because that is such a good point of, I mean, if you're wanting to create a culture of confession in your family and have that openness, um, yeah, the accountability software helps kind of prevent it, but then there are ways around all of it, all the time, you know, and, you know, they can take it off their, they, I think you can make it where you can't take it off your phone, but, you know, they take it off and they're like, oh, it accidentally happened, you know, or whatever. There's all sorts of ways to get around stuff or whatever happens, whatever comes up. Um, just, you know, it's okay to let your parents know like things that you've looked at or things that you did. And, you know, and if you want that to be the case, you know, the reaction to that is so important. Uh, and just being able to, like you said, have a plan in place for if that happens, Hey, I'm the, I'm the parent to go to, or come and sit down with both of us, or, you know, you can tell either of us, whatever it is, but walking through kind of the the exit strategy, I guess, for what's happened afterwards. And being ready not to overreact as a parent to, yeah. to those things. And, you know, and helping your cat, kids know that just because they came across something doesn't mean they're in trouble or that yeah. they are bad, but that they, there are things that they can do to avoid it in the future. That's good. And we will spend an episode in the future talking just about that, but we wanted to give you a few practical tips about it. And the last thing we'd like to end on is just a conversation about media literacy. Um, your kids are going to be looking for answers on the Internet. How do they evaluate what is a good source? Or um, one of the things that we're all going to be dealing with as parents is instead of asking mom and dad, it's a lot easier to Google it. So how do we teach our kids what to look for when searching things on the Internet? Obviously, the... Uh personal blogs and like people's opinions stuff um you know they may be experts so they may have some experience but they're not verified in in any ways um but i mean you have to make sure that you're you're when you're writing a paper um or you're looking up something that you're not sure what it is or or how to to, to fix it or whatever it is y you know you you look up um scholarly websites like i i don't know i just I don't know how uh, regulated Wikipedia is. I know there are some good stuff on there, but there's also stuff that people just write on there, and it hasn't been as big of an issue, if, at least in my world. But um, you know, you if you do look up something and you're not sure if it's right, ask somebody about it. Um, and you know, I <coughs> I know that there are uh, parenting websites, and there there be articles on there uh, of people giving their statistics and things. Don't just take things as, as face value. I mean, whether it's you as the student or you as the parent, make sure that you double check the source, um, however that looks like, whether that's somebody else or look up another website that has the same statistics or whatever. 
don't just take it at face value? I think it's such a good question because it's so hard for us, even as adults, isn't it? I mean, we come across things all the time and our initial reaction is sometimes to just believe it just because we read it. Um, or maybe we trust the person who shared it. Um, and kids get that way too. And even faster than we do, but there are things that we do need to teach our kids about cross-checking resources, finding corroboration and building those trusted things. But even some of our trusted sources anymore still have slant. So we, we have to give them tools to help them evaluate um, what they are reading and what they're, what they're taking us back. Now it's just technology is the quick fix, right? And we live in like a quick fix culture. And, uh, and so having a quick answer and not having to wonder about anything is so um, important. It's key. I mean, that's like a big... Um, you know, deal to just boom, get the answer really quick. Uh, and so I think as parents setting the expectation of it's okay to take your time, it's okay to dig into something um, is one, incredibly difficult, but two, kind of part of the strategy of, well, how do we teach our kids that it's not okay to just Google something and read the first thing and that's truth? Well, it's by taking the time to walk through that and explain all of that. And so I think it's just how how do we spend our time in not even teaching media literacy, but just the common sense thing of going half a step further, spending a little bit more time um, to understand uh, our, our sources and media and all of those things um, is, is going to be key. Did you know that all uh, 66% of statistics are made up on the spot? That was a great joke to end on. <laughs> well, thank you, Kyle, for <laughs> a bit of levity. and, uh, and what I believe is that it? was said by uh, George Washington. Oh, okay. Now we're... We're getting, we're getting off the rails for sure. So um, two quick resources to leave you with before Barrett reminds you about how to interact with this podcast. Uh, if you're a reader, two books we might recommend. Uh, the first is The TechWise Family. It's from the Barna Group. It's by Andy Crouch. And the second is Right Click, Parenting Your Teenager in a Digital Media World. Uh, this is by the Fuller Youth Institute. As with any resources, you know, you got to use media literacy. There's good and bad, but there are some helpful things and these that, that might fit your family. So Barrett, tell them how they can interact with the family. Hey, thank you for listening. We hope that you got something out of this episode. We appreciate uh, the time that you've spent listening, and we hope that you will rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. We hope that you will share this podcast with your friends, and we hope that it will be beneficial for you and your families. Again, this is the Fam Lab, where we're experimenting uh, a family together and that sort of thing. Um, so One, if you would, contact us. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Let us know the things that you want us to spend more time on and where you want to see future episodes go. You can email us at hellofamlab at gmail.com. It's all lowercase, hellofamlab at gmail.com. Fam, short for family. Lab, short for Labrador. Hellofamlab at gmail.com. Hey, again, thanks for listening. Much love. Have a great rest of your week.